Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's Wednesday, November 14th, 2012. This is On The Grid, episode 19. This week we talk about how our very own Matt McInerney has his rebrand of the NFL posts on Fast Company. We also talk about the true purpose of email. Andy, don't call it a rebrand. This is On The Grid. (laughs) Let's Let's go! Let's go! (sighs) Gentlemen, how was your week? I'm so tired. Ever so Why? tired. Why are you Why so, so tired, tired, Dan? Uh, okay, so we're at the end of our, I guess, product cycle of uh, something that we've been working on for a few months. And it's getting to that point where everybody's starting to rush everything and everybody's kind of get you know, like panicky. Yes. So I'm trying to stay calm and just trying to get shit done and everything. But yeah, just like the amount of freak out and everything is kind of, it's a little taxing. Right. So What is it uh, with people on the West Coast and the term cycle? Every time anybody from California or San Francisco or that area has approached us about work, it's always, you have any free cycles coming up? What are your cycles looking like? And I'm like, I guess so. We don't, yeah, we have time, I, if that's what you mean. They're I a do. bunch of pagans, that's what it is. <laughs> moon cycles and... Yeah. <laughs> I, did, your, I didn't know I was that quickly acclimated to uh, San Francisco, but I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, now, I'm, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I've never heard anybody from, from the East Coast use that terminology, and every really? single person, without fail. Like, I can be talking to somebody, and if they say cycles, I'm like, I know they're on the West Coast. Check their little about information. <laughs> Indeed, they are in Palo Alto, and they're talking about free cycles, busy cycles. Yeah. Cycles that I remember work. you're talking to Andy, and he's talking about bicycles. <laughs> Ba-boom! <laughs> Bring in the comedy. This is why you listen to the show, people. Yep. No, there are so many comedy podcasts. It better not be why they're listening to the show. You better oh. not be getting the show for laughs. You're here no. for you're here for thoughtful critique. It's one percent laughs, and it's ninety nine percent. I the think other we're stuff. a little more than that. I think laughter is important. Laughter is an important I, part I of agree. life. It's an important I just, part I'm of design. We're not the pros. Don't come to us for the laughter, but uh, it might sneak its way in a couple. It's of true. Times. We're not the pros. I, I kind of wish I was sometimes. I think it'd be a lot of fun to like be good at writing comedy and being funny on command, but it's so difficult. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I've thought mm-hmm. about that too, but also, yes, difficult. Yeah. It's, Don't trivialize that. It's very It's much easier just to just to be critical than it is uh, to, be, <laughs> to be funny. Funny's hard. Well, well how was y'all's weeks? Mine was good. Uh, I had I spent all week writing proposals and also building some things. I'm learning some new technology, which has been a lot of fun. It's very, oh, cool. very rewarding to uh, to build stuff. So I'm getting real excited every time I make something work that I didn't know I could do before. So it's been one of those weeks where like I'm making progress and feeling really good about everything, which is great. Ah, I had a, I had a um, actually, you know, I, I know what's going to come up in a second. Oh, do you? Uh, yes, I do. Do you know what's going to come gonna up? I was going to say I had a much different week, but I don't, I don't get too down when when the internet's mean to me. <laughs> I actually, uh, I do okay with that. It's, so. it's a, it can be hard. Some of us, uh, we put a lot of personal stock in the internet and then when the internet doesn't doesn't love you back it's it can it can sting a little bit yeah that's true that's true we should just we should just cut the crap go right to the top of the dock i think the the first thing we do need to talk about is in fact uh, rebranding every team in the nfl a post on fast code design this was a post about a unsolicited rebrand of specifically the nfl teams done by our very own matt McInerney. Sure. So that's that's what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. And um, and the internet was very mean to him about it. The comments were so mean. Sure. So mean. Sure. Well, I think in in part in in one of the ways I think it is fair. This is a project I've been working on that is kind of purely fun, 
takes on sports marks. It's a thing I'm interested in in a fun way because, you know, it is a I'm a big fan of football, but also it's a game kind of enjoy the play between mascot and city and word mark. And it, it's been a kind of way for to blow off steam after work. So I enjoy that. I would just like to point out that it is funny that people like us to blow off steam after our work, you know, doing graphic design, we come home and do more graphic design. It's yes. a, it, it, I had, I had the exact same, I had the exact same thing though. There are projects that, you know, are work projects or client projects. And there are things I do just for me, just, just for Andy time, you know, it's just Andy shapes and colors. And then that, that's that's much different. Yeah, no, I still I feel like work is graphic design for other people, and then I go do graphic design for me. I still I always want to do design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, it's just about who it's for. Mm-hmm. The reason I was saying I I am actually not totally upset about it is because the article did frame it as rebranding the NFL, and then if you look at what I'm actually doing, all I'm doing is drawing marks. I've I've made no attempt to rebrand anything really. Um, if you if you think about what a brand is, so. I can understand if, if people thought that that's what I'm saying, I can understand them being very upset with me because I clearly must not understand what a brand is, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, according to the comments, you not only don't know what a brand is, but you also have no work to do. You're just sitting at home bored with, mm-hmm. uh, with no job. Uh, so that's why you do this kind of things, you know? Yeah. And what's even worse is that half of them were like, this guy doesn't even know how to design. And I feel like that was, <laughs> that was a, a, a bit much. I mean, hey, look, how do they know? Also... Yeah. People are still allowed to say that. No matter wherever I work, you don't necessarily know that. And why does that necessarily mean that I do or do not know how? One one would assume that perhaps I've made it a certain distance and I must know a little something. But again, I'm a young guy. They could assume I don't know anything. And that's exactly what they said. So I I can understand (laughs) (laughs) where all the frustration comes from. But it got brutal. It It, it did. I read read every single comment. And it's amazing. I don't think... Any one of them was even a shred of of kind or thoughtful. Pretty much every single one of them was like, I hate all this stuff. Why is this shit on the internet? So stupid. So I, I have some questions for you, though, Matt. I don't want yeah, to turn this into like a you defending yourself a whole bunch, because I think you're preaching to the choir. I think the people that are listening to this podcast know you're thoughtful, uh, know that you're not out to prove that you can do better than, you know, the Seahawks by making their logo better. You're just having a, a good bit of fun. So I have a couple questions. First question is, did you like submit this in some way to Fast Company or did you just stumble across this and decide to publish it? No, they sent me an email and the kind of the the frame of the email was, you know, we're going to put a link to your project on Fast Company. Could you answer a couple of these questions? So I sent them back a couple of questions and I kind of, I of course I knew that they were going to publish a link to the thing and I thought maybe they'd I better get I better get a couple of, of thoughts in there or I'm I'm going to be completely unrepresented because I don't I think it's it's a fool's game to try to ask people to take down links or not link to your thing that's never going to work yeah. so I'd rather excuse me I'd rather just get a word in mm-hmm. okay and then my other question I guess is I think this brings up a lot of questions of like publishing online and just like putting something out there in general because some, everyone's perception of this thing, once it's being written about on a fast company, is that you're making some sort of statement by putting it online. You're saying, like, this is better, this is different, this is improved in some way, which is what everyone assumed. And I, obviously that was not your intention. So I, I guess my question is, why, why, why did you publish these online? If this is a personal project, you know, what is the value of putting them on a Tumblr or whatever if, uh, if it's just sort of for you? I think that's actually totally fair. I could just put them in a closet and not show them to anyone. I think part of it is that I need there I I need feedback in a critical way 
in order for me to improve the ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, if I put them in a closet, they can't get better. And, and they can only get better from me. But I do think there's something very valuable about them getting from getting better based on the feedback of other people. And it's, I mean, the reason I put it online is more for people like you guys, people I actually know who are designers who can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've actually said this to plenty of people this week now. The people that say I like it are just as invaluable as the people that say I hate it. Mm-hmm. I kind of obviously saying someone saying I like something is it feels better than someone saying I hate something. But to me, they have the same value because what do I do with those things? So while I appreciate when people send me tweets, say I like it, it's the same result as when somebody sends me a tweet that says you should absolutely be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I guess in that same vein, like, I, I don't know how you feel, Matt, but a lot of times if I do a personal project, I'll put it online just because for me, that's completion. Like, if I just kind of tuck it away, then it just turns into something that I can keep tinkering with. So, I like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but did you also put it online just say, like, okay, I actually am done with this thing and I can show it to people? Yes, because when you do that, you're stuck with it, right? Yeah. You can't tinker anymore without it being visible. There, On the blog, there are a couple of logos where I've done a second version because I feel like sometimes you just need to pick a stopping point and move on. And the way of doing that is making it public. It's almost like announcing publicly, I'm going to do something. Now you have to go do it. Yeah. And actually, I actually, Andy, I think you had a very similar experience <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago with your, your um, sending out an email every week project where you say, this idea may not be polished, but I'm going to send it out in the world so that I can get some feedback on it. I think that is a valuable thing to do because otherwise you're just dwelling on it and it never goes anywhere. Yeah. I want to talk about the email thing a little bit later, but I think we're still, there's an interesting thing in that, like if I was in your position, Matt, and doing this sort of personal project, I would be, I would probably put it online as well. I think we're kind of of the generation that we know it's easy to put something online and there is value to having it out there. The value we've mentioned about getting feedback on it is also, and also about just you know, making a, a statement of something like I made this, it's done, look at it, or it's not done, look at it, and I'm going to keep changing it. It's uh, it's like a commitment to yourself to, you know, do something of, the, of enough quality that you're willing to show it to people. And I wonder if if our generation is overpublishing and just sort of putting everything out there and if there should be a, a filter of some sort. And I'm, I'm not necessarily particularly talking about your project, Matt, but um, just because I feel like everything I think about doing in my life, and this sounds terrible, but it's it's the truth, I think about like how will that take its form online? Like if I'm going to do this project or go on this trip, how can I collect all the pictures from it or how can I document it in some way and put it online? It's like I measure everything in my life based on how it is portrayed on the internet, which is a scary thing, I think. Yeah, sure. It it is to a degree very narcissistic because part of it is just wanting to have eyes on your thing and it's it's become everything because it is it is very gratifying to have people look at what you're doing and part of it is just you taking away attention from other things and there are so many things that have people pay attention to your thing is very exciting so to a degree yes i mean i'm i'm doing i'm doing this thing of just publishing everything and i'm trying to put you know enough polish on things that it's not just throwing sketches out into the world but to a degree yeah it is just publishing it is saying this is good enough that I'm willing to let someone else see it, which I know at least for me is a huge hurdle. Like before I'm willing to show something to somebody, it's got to be pretty darn good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But of course, I think kind of as time goes on, the bar does get lower and lower and lower and lower because also, you know, our, we kind of see our privacy diminish. I, th- I think those kind of two things go hand in hand, whether that's consciously what's making your decision or not, it's influencing you. 
Do you guys remember the first time you put something online and had someone else's eyeballs on it? Do you remember what that was? It was it was a long, long time ago. I mean, it was probably like an old fan site or something, like a thing oh. I enjoyed when I was a teenager and I made a, I don't know, like a tripod or GeoCities or AOL mm-hmm. member page. I don't know what it was exactly, but Jeez. I know that the reason, I mean, obviously I kept doing it. So were you getting feedback, feedback in been... some way from your GeoCities page or whatever? Like, I remember the first time, I think that my DeviantArt page was the first time I was making stuff putting into the world and getting feedback on it. And I say feedback in air quotes because it was deviant art. So the right. feedback was like weird little demon emoticons. And based on the emotion of the demon, that told me what the person <laughs> thought about my really cool Photoshop desktop wallpaper. Now that I'm saying it, I'm remembering. There was an old site I put online that I don't remember the topic of the site, but I do remember very specifically being in chat rooms and talking to people about it and them kind of picking it apart a little bit and this being a way for me to learn web design. Yeah. Because I remember very specifically every week like putting out a new version and then somebody else saying like, well, that's ridiculous or or this doesn't work for that reason. For, I don't know why it was so constructive back then. Maybe there were just so few people. But I actually very slur- slowly learned the the pieces of design that were starting to work. As amateurish as it was at the time, it was yeah. very valuable. That's interesting. Wow. I, I my early experiences with online communities was not valuable. <laughs> it was like deviant art for my like art and design work at the time. And the other big community I was a part of was an old Dave Matthews band forum, which you know, yeah, you chuckle, 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 big bro, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I was extremely active on this stupid forum, and what that forum taught me was how to argue and how to get in big flame wars and how to deal with trolls. Because all everyone does on any forum, I think, is basically argue with everybody else. Uh, and I still hold some weird like resentment against that community for, I think, making me very inherently defensive of a lot of things that I put out there. And I have to sort of Jeez. constantly fight that and tell myself to like step back and take my time and think about things before I respond. Because my gut reaction is always to like, ah, flame war, grab the torches. Woo! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, I know I, I thought about that a lot this week, though, it, the idea of being defensive and, and going out in the world and defending yourself. My approach this week has been... You know, if someone contacts me directly, I will have a conversation with them, but I'm not going to go into a comment thread and try to reply to every single one and explain why they may be wrong. Because Mm -hmm. actually, one thing I do know is that that actually works pretty well. If you make a valid argument towards a dumb comment, if the person responds, they'll usually respond with an apology, but it's the effort of doing that that's not really worth it. because. They're gonna they're gonna forget the thing so quickly that why does it matter that you do that? Yeah, and, and what good are you know fifty half-hearted apologies from people on the internet that don't actually take the time to think about your thing? You know that doesn't matter to you at all. I guess my biggest question, I think I brought this up sometime yesterday, is uh, questioning the purpose or I guess the value of comments online. Mostly because I I think it's gotten to the point that so many sites have that as a default because they feel like they need to have a comment area that I just don't understand what the value is anymore if the majority of it is just flame wars. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I used to have comments on my website, which for the longest time was run on WordPress. And I actually got a ton of really thoughtful comments on my blog. And of course, it was interspersed with tons of really shallow, good or bad comments. But I, I would intentionally filter out the ones that were thoughtless, whether they're good or bad. And really hang on to the ones that were that were thoughtful, but it just it was so much work to like maintain that like standard for the comments that it just wasn't worth it. Um, especially if you're on WordPress, like I, I had my spam blocker on the WordPress blog, and over the course of like two years, I think it blocked like seventy thousand spam comments or something insane. Yeah, it's nuts. I think the comment form thing is an example of 
technology dictating design choices in that it's relatively easy to put comments on every page. So you're like, oh, why not? Like, that seems like more things is better than not more things. So sure, let's add a comment form. I think that's the mentality of a lot of people and businesses that are running websites. And, and in reality, I think it's almost always better to have the conversations in existing communities, you know, have the conversations on Reddit or on Hacker News or on Twitter or on Facebook, wherever you're posting links to these things and sharing them. I think that's the best place for the conversations to take place. I agree with that. I think the problem is that people try to force communities in places that they don't exist. And you're not going to do that in a shallow way. If you, Because tr- if you try to do it in a shallow way, the results are very obvious. So you have to take it to a place where the community either actually exists or you have to be very thoughtful in developing the community. We've tried Branch a couple of times in developing conversations after this show. And I do like that that is starting, that is developing a community around thoughtful conversation. It actually seems to be working. So I don't want to say that comments are not valuable. Oh, definitely not. It's more how the frame you put around them and the amount of effort you're going to put into building the community around a thoughtful conversation. And even the the thing I loved in, in Branch was just the default text in the form, picking a thoughtful quote that makes you think about what you're about to say is really important. It's a, such a minor thing, but it changes the conversation. And obviously those are the people that learn from Twitter and kind of the, the question they asked you and what you need to respond to and how that changed the interaction in Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I love those little details. And I think it's very important if you're going to build a community. Yeah. Branch is a really good example, I think, of you know a community that's technically not so much different than any other place you post comments. You know, It's basically a forum, more or less, where you have users and you have topics and anyone can write on them and some are invite only. But... It's interesting how much the context changes the quality of that community. I mean, you look at something like comparing Yahoo questions to, or Yahoo answers rather, to, to Quora, and it's like technically the same thing. People ask questions, people give answers, some answers get upvotes, some get downvotes, but you are hard pressed to find any content on Yahoo answers that's not total garbage. Meanwhile, Quora is just a, a overflowing well of terribly interesting things that you could just, you know, fall down a big, you could just spend all afternoon reading them. So it, I think it's it's weird how the context makes that much of a difference. And I actually I know I know the guys that run Branch are good friends of mine, but I, I can't like I don't have time to do that, you know. Like like yeah, there's this really interesting like forum now for like thoughtful comments and you know bringing in a big group of people to like talk about a topic. But because the context is so good and it encourages so much thoughtful conversation, I feel like I have to dedicate a ton of time to it, and I feel like I don't have that time. It's like it's in that same box of things it's like oh if i had infinite free time i would totally do this all the time but i i don't it is trying to there there is such thoughtful conversation happening that i feel like i shouldn't contribute if i don't have enough to contribute which is maybe a point of the community like if if i feel that way it's maybe being successful Mm -hmm. but i also think that if it can succeed more and that becomes the place that you have the conversation you maybe feel a little less the intimidation because you're not spreading your it's not one more place to spread yourself so thin yeah, I don't know. There's just so many, so many places now where I feel like I'm spread really thin. I mean, I feel the same way about Quora. Like, I would love to spend just all my all my time answering questions on Quora and reading interesting answers, but I don't have that time. And it's like there's so many things out there that are really interesting ways to, like, connect people and have conversations, but they're not really solving a problem. Like, the problem that Branch is solving, I guess, is that sometimes you get into really, like, deep conversations on Twitter with a lot of people and it doesn't really fit that format. But that's not like a problem I'm going to seek out a solution to. I'll just avoid those conversations. I don't know. I I don't want to like totally bomb this conversation and start talking about how we're all overwhelmed again. But 
you know, that, that's kind of how I feel about a lot of those things. If you're interested in supporting the On The Grid podcast, we have an interesting sponsorship model available. You can email us with your website, mobile application, maybe a logo or a poster, some sort of design work, and we will critique it on air, which provides twofold value for you. One, you get some critical feedback on your thing to make it better. And two, you get some ears that get to hear about your product. And we're going to try to be as honest as possible. And hopefully it's a work in progress so we have something to actually discuss. Yeah, and we just give it an honest critique to say, this is what our thoughts are. Maybe this could help you out. You can email us at mail at onthegrid.co. You can also give us a call if you want to provide a short little description and some context. Our number is 973-ON-GRID-2, which is 973-664-7432. And if you mail us, we'll send you rates and we'll tell you what we need from you. An image, just a little bit of context so we know what we're talking about. So the next thing on the dock was talking about email as a new Pony Express along with some other um, interesting bits about email itself. Really, the, the one article for email as a new Pony Express and it's time to put it down is mostly talking about how it's become a very laborious way of communication because there's so many other ways to communicate through instant messaging and, and text messaging and all these other different uh, venues. And they go into examples about how uh, a French IT company had banned email entirely and and it helped with productivity and communication. So I I guess it's largely about the topic of uh, what's become of email and uh, maybe even ways that we could use it or could not use it or maybe alternatives for communication that people just kind of resort to email for. Right. I'm going to start this off because I know Andy has a lot to say about it. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get in my thing now before he talks. (laughs) Right. But so I appreciate the article. There is part of it to remember that this is coming from the guy who's working uh, creating Hootsuite. So of course it's it's coming from an angle. Yes. But I think one I think the problem with email is maybe not so much email itself, but the way that we've decided to use email. I the number one thing that it mentions is that email has been become an unproductive tool. I think the reason that is is because we're expected to check it so often that essentially we are in constant refresh mode and feel like we need to refresh it every five minutes and answer immediately, which I think is more a human behavior and treating something, treating a new medium the same way we would treat an old medium. To me, that's treating email the same way you would treat a phone call. If you hear it ringing, you're supposed to pick it up and respond to it. But the thing about email is that you can respond to it later, and that actually is potentially the value of it. So it's not so much that the technology is bad, it's that we're using it in a way that may not be correct. And the other points of it being linear and not collaborative and not being social, I think actually the social point is is him trying to shoehorn his, in his agenda a little bit because I don't think making email social is going to make it more productive. I think it will make it less productive. Yeah. yeah. The point of it being collaborative or the point of it not being collaborative that seems important. I think the the attaching documents and sending it back and forth thing is a problem, but I also don't think that's an email problem. I think that's that's another example of the way we use email. Yeah. He brings up Google Docs. Email works really well with Google Docs, so there's another way of just using it the wrong way. So I think most of the examples is the way in which we use it, not the inherent nature of email. Yeah, I, I, this kind of goes back to last week when we were talking about Gmail, or maybe two weeks ago. I was talking about Gmail's changes uh, of how it was feeling a bit more like an instant messenger. It's, you know, tucked in the corner. It's a little bit more casual uh, in construction. And I feel like 
people are really trying to change it to be something that it's not supposed to be. Uh, I, I often relate email to physical mail because, you know, there's all sorts of junk uh, email, just like there's, you know, junk mail in your mailbox. I feel like there's a really strong tie there, much more than something like a telephone where, like, I see what you're saying that when you hear the phone ring, you answer it. Uh, email is a lot more like a mailbox, like a physical mailbox. And after working for an email marketing company for something like a year and a half, what I realized is that people just, they see that as a new avenue just to cram a bunch of advertisements and and everything else in your way because they know that not many people are going to really respond to physical flyers and and junk mail in your mailbox. So and I, I feel like there's this constant need to run away from spam and all this other crap where I, d- I don't think we're ever going to get away from it. I feel like people are thinking that instant messaging or something else that's lightweight is a way of getting away from all the crap that's in an email inbox. It's funny that the solution to it is potentially just like making it so fast that everything is un- that is unimportant is essentially weighted down by the new things. Mm-hmm. But that's also the problem of it. I don't know. I feel like sometimes we frame things in designing a solution in order for it to fit in the context that we've developed the show. But I do think you need to design a solution to email, not just kind of like further stack things on top of it so it becomes useful at the moment. Yeah, I think Matt really hit the nail on the head when he said that this article, I mean, it bothered me because he talks about the problems with email, but it's really not the problems with email. It's the problem with how people use email. You know, blaming the whole medium for the fact that people try and use it to as a Swiss knife to do every single thing is is unfair. Uh, like we in Friends of the Web now, we use email you know, between ourselves almost never. We have a campfire chat room for like asynchronous communication in the office. And so even though we're all sitting at the same desk on most days, very often, you know, Josh has his headphones on, he's in the zone, he's coding something, I don't want to mess him up, so I throw a message in the chat room, he'll get to that in five minutes to tell me what the deal is. So that's for all the casual conversation. Then we have Dropbox for sharing files, so there's no reason to attach a million you know, files to email. I think that it's just because email is so good, actually, that's why people have ended up abusing it because it's the one thing everybody has. It's the one thing everybody checks. And it's got all these features. You can you can attach things. You can send a, a calendar invitation through it. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, it does it does get abused a lot. I, I, as I think most people listening to the podcast probably know, I, I started an email campaign uh, just, you know, I guess three weeks ago now, two and a half weeks ago. I never thought I would use email to reach any people about anything. I figured, you know, why not blog or tweet or do something more public? But I felt like there was a weird disconnect between like the formality of my blog and it's a matter of like, I feel like I have to have a complete idea that I've written enough about that it's polished before I publish it anywhere. And the, you know, informality of Twitter, which is just, you know, conversational. I'm not going to post anything, obviously, more than 140 characters, so it can't be too thoughtful and too considered. And I don't want to start big, long discussions, as I mentioned before on Twitter, because it's not built for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought email was a good way to sort of like meet in between and have something that was not completely thought out, not a full blog post, but longer than a tweet. And also more than that, it was a way to reach people in a different way. I think it's a very different set of people that are interested in receiving an email newsletter that's like it's like it's it's almost like a journal. I've been treating it as I've sent out three messages, probably a fourth after the show tonight, and it's just like, you know, very personal. Whatever I'm thinking about, what's going on, and I get a lot of responses to it, which is great. It's what I wanted, and I start a lot of conversations with people that way, and it's great because it's not in public. No one feels the need to you know troll or be some dick about something or give the really shallow feedback like yes, no, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really valuable for me, and, and the reasons that I chose email, I think, are 
the biggest advantages of that format and nothing else has that going for it yet. So to say that email is dead is just to say that you're using it wrong and you got to, you know, straighten your ship because it's got plenty of really, really useful applications. Yeah. And I will say that uh, I actually very, very much appreciate uh, the stuff that you've been writing because I did subscribe and I have been reading and I feel like you're actually using email. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like you're <laughs> actually using email the, the way that it was intended because when I receive it in my inbox, there was a couple of times where I wanted to start reading, but I just didn't have the time. Something else was going on. So I was able to... You fucking asshole. Well, <laughs> I was able to visit it later and read it in completion. And I, <laughs> I think what what's really nice about it is that that's the sort of thing that doesn't have to have a legacy online. Like you don't have to have a permalink for it. Uh, and it's something that you really just want to send out, uh, you know, maybe get some reactions or just kind of give like your thoughts out to a, a select group of people. And what's nice about it is that because it doesn't have to keep a legacy, when somebody's done with it, they can just delete it and it's gone. And I feel like that is really what what email could be for. The, the things that you don't have to have this huge archive of all these thoughts, because I, I, I don't know, I feel like that. When you write these, Andy, it's almost like you're writing these to get these out of your brain so that you can make more space for more things down the road. Make more space for Minecraft. Yep. Right. <laughs> We're building a really great castle in Minecraft right now. It is occupying some of my brain space. No, I, mean, I think you're right. So there's some things that are really great about email that nothing else has yet. And one of those things is that it, like the email seeks you out. When I send an email, it's like I'm giving it to you, and then it's out of my hands. I can't go edit it. I can't change it. I can't tweak it or do anything to it. I've sent it to you, and most people, I think, you know, gave me their regular email address, so it like goes to their smartphones and it vibrates in their pocket, and it, you know, wherever they are, it like comes to them, and they can read it then or read it later. But it's very much like giving something to somebody, and it is. Like, like you say, Dan, they can delete it when they're done or they can not read it. They can you know, do whatever they want with it. And what they do with it is not of my concern. Um, so I, I, I like that part of it. Nothing else is like that where it's like giving a thing to somebody. And it's also like it's, it's very personal. You know, people email is also where you have the conversations with your mom or, you know, your really important stuff going on in your life, I think, still happens in email. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing that was really big for me about the email is that it's totally undesigned because as a designer, I can't. Like every time I go to put anything into the world, I have such a hard time not spending time making it look the way I want it to look. Mm -hmm. And so with email, I have no choice. It's like, all right, here's here's the text. I hope your phone makes it look good. I, I have no power over well, it. That, that, and that's really, really freeing. That's not true because you can put things in tables. Uh, you're, you're totally free well, to not, put Well, not in tiny letter. <laughs> oh, I, really? I have chosen, I've, you know, tiny letter is super simple. Wow. I, I've chosen only to send just plain text emails. I think that it does put it in like a centered div in the email so it's centered but that, that's all it does and you know that's that's enough for me well, probably for the um, best anyways of course not that's one of the advantages of it for me is that i can't fiddle with it and pick all the right colors and fonts and then hate it in two months later when i go back and look at it it's just it's just words which is pure and i, I think that I, mean, I was inspired by a lot of people that are doing really interesting things with email right now and i one is example is louis ck i'm not sure if you're subscribed to his email newsletter mm -mm. I am but, actually, that's a good example of a person who, when I get an email, I read every detail. Yeah, every single word. Because it's, it's so clearly like he just fucking sat down and wrote it, and it's got typos in it, and he talks about how dumb and stupid he is, and how much he hates the internet, and how much he hates sending these things out, and how much you probably hate him for getting it in your inbox. And it's just, he's approaching it totally differently than any other company sending emails right now. And... You know, any email marketer would look at that email and go, this is, you know, horrible. You got to throw in more links. You got to throw in more buzzwords. You got to do all this crap. 
but he just sends plain text emails and it's way more effective because I'm interested in what that man has to say. If he has something to sell me, I want to hear about it. And so it reaches me really effectively. Another good example is some some of the Kickstarter projects I've backed in the past have been really, really excellent in terms of updates. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack, Jack Chain's book these days, he sends out updates every week that are really, really great. They're just like his internal process about the book and it only goes to backers. So it's a very limited set of people. It's not published anywhere. It's just like him you know, mulling over what the cover should look like and talking about why this week was a huge roadblock for him and he couldn't get a writer's block and what he does when he can't think of ideas. And it's just, I always really enjoy getting those emails. It's just a nice breath of, breath of fresh air. Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to do that kind of thing with it. I think that that's what email is still really good at. I mean, it's like sending a letter to your friend and nothing is more personal than receiving like a letter in the mail. Like I, if, we, if you get a letter from a friend with someone's handwriting on it, like that's that's got power to it. Mm-hmm. And I think email has a potential to be that that way. It's just that everyone gets so so many letters every single day in their little digital mailbox that it's been really diluted. Yeah, I guess from the work perspective too. Uh, I know because I work in a larger company has uh, like Jira running and and all these other automated things that even when a ticket oh, is made, that, you get an email of the ticket or any updates to the ticket, and and you could have literally over a hundred of these every day, and that's the exact worst way to use email ever because there are so many other ways to communicate that out to a broad audience that you probably should not be doing that in an inbox dude you got to unsubscribe from those jira emails you just got to go check that dashboard whenever you need to yeah (laughs) i mean that's the whole point of it it's project management you shouldn't be getting an email every time someone attaches you to a ticket or some sprint you know sprint cycle gets updated to be not a free cycle anymore or whatever (laughs) you guys do out there we're agile yeah and following up on that, and specifically following up on our conversation about edges, I think that's the part I appreciate about it the most is the fact that you don't have to choose to include links in the email. Mm-hmm. And what that gives you is a piece of information that you digest and appreciate. And I was thinking about the analogy between that and what we're doing right now. When we have this conversation and we continue to talk, we will reference articles and we will put the articles up on the blog. But I think what we all know is that people are going to listen to this and they're not going to pause and they're going to, not going to go read it. They're expecting to, for the information to be delivered by us to yes. them. So they have one complete experience. And I appreciate other things being treated that way because so much of our time can get eaten up by kind of following that link trail into infinity. I appreciate that we're kind of starting to define edges in the things that we have. And I think that's the thing I really appreciate about podcasts is that I can start it and I can finish it, and I know that I'm done. Even if there are things that are referenced in it, and they're not so easily clickable, and I, I know that you brought that up, Andy, and I'm interested to find out, what it, what beyond the, your blog, what were the reasons for not including links in the email? Yeah, so I mean, I, I chose not to include links largely because of you know all the writing Craig Mod's been doing. I think it really resonated with me, this idea of a link. I used to, I mean, I used to think of links simply as a convenience. Like, as far as I was concerned, you could look up anything you want in any of the things that I'm writing about, and I'm just going to link everything that I can think of so you don't have to look it up if you don't want to. You can just click on it, which seemed like a nice thing to do from my perspective. But I think that, he, that Craig makes a really good point in all of his writing recently about how you know, that link is not simply a convenience. It's also like you know, the lid to Pandora's box. And if you have you know, 20 links scattered throughout this article, it makes you feel like you haven't completed the thing when you read, read through it unless you sort of go to these links and read all the links or you know all of the content that's being referenced. And that sense of completion, I think, is something that it's kind of, I don't want to deprive people that are reading my emails of that completion. 
and, and another reason I didn't want to include links is I wanted to be like a promise to people that this was never going to be a way for me to promote anything, be it my stuff or anybody else's stuff. So you're never going to get some link about an app we made or a Kickstarter of a friend of mine. Like that's never happening. It's always just going to be plain text. Um, so yeah, for those two reasons, I want it to be something where it's like, I know I can read this. It's just as much text and then I'm done. And you know, if there's things mentioned in it, I want to look up, I can, but that's on me. That's not, you know, no one's imposing that on me with these hyperlinks. So moving forward, like this is a thing you're doing and I appreciate that. And I think there are going to be plenty of people that appreciate that, but you're using the format in a certain way. You're using the medium in a certain way. Mm -hmm. My question is kind of moving forward, knowing that the medium can be abused. I, I know that this argument gets brought up a lot, but is that a reason that this medium can't really be as effective? And the reason I say I know that it gets abused a lot is like that was the reason that VCRs could be the end of uh, the film industry because you can record. So I don't want to get into that Pandora's box. But knowing that this can be abused so much that you can become unproductive and you just see this as a sea of junk, is email savable? Like can we design our way out of it or can we use it in an effective way so much that people see the value of it and it actually becomes usable? Or Andy, are you just appreciating the medium while it lasts and we're moving on? I mean in some ways – I think that, yes, every person that is misusing this medium, and that is by far most of the people, that definitely dilutes everyone's experience. Uh, like every time you get in a spam email or some crappy thing you're just BCC'd on or some chain letter or some garbage that is meaningless to you, that makes email that much less special to you. It starts chipping away at that you know amount of meaning. But there's still, there's still huge opportunities for, to really touch people. Like I, I got an email just yesterday from uh, somebody whose question I'd answered on Quora. Somebody posted a question on Quora that was, you know, I'm red, green, colorblind. Should I give up on my dreams of becoming a graphic designer, essentially? And I was like, no, definitely not. Here's why, blah, blah, blah. And the person like took the time to email me and say like, thank you so much. I looked at your work and it's, you know, I've, it's really encouraging to hear somebody like you tell me that I should continue this and I'm going to be applying to college next year. And I'm, I have so much more confidence now that you wrote like, 100 words on Quora and told me not to give up my dream because I'm red, green, colorblind. And that email was like, it hit me in an extremely personal way because I know that A, he wasn't like publishing that anywhere. It was for nobody else but for me. He sent it to me and I got to read it and like it was a direct connection. And it's amazing to be reminded of the, I think email is the only thing left, one of the only things left that has the possibility to remind us that every little blip on the internet out there is really a human being. Like it's easy to forget that every time you tweet something out, you know, there's probably like a hundred living, breathing human beings that are like reading those words immediately. And it's easy to forget that when you write a blog post that, you know, X number of people are gonna read that blog post and, and think about it. But when you get an email from somebody, it's like, yo, human being right here, like this person is alive and breathing and, you know, talking to me. And that I think is missing from most other things. So I, I don't think that it's diluted beyond hope, but it's definitely, Definitely thinned out because of all the ways that it gets abused. I appreciate the full circle of that conversation because it comes right back to what we were originally talking about and the <laughs> hateful comments that I've kind of delved through. But it always it always works where if you're talking to a person one on one, that whether it just be hate or misunderstanding, it really slowly starts to go away, or very quickly starts to go away in order for you to actually have the real conversation. And I think that. Hopefully that's our goal in designing whatever whatever the next step in is in whatever the next step in technology is. I hope that's part of the goal, or kind of reworking the tools that we already use and use them in a more effective way. Yeah, I think that you know when you're connected with a person, you sort of 
rediscover humanity and you forget that anonymity that is so easy to take for granted on the internet that we all sort of feel that fuels a lot of the way we behave in these online communities. I've had a lot of, we've had some ideas uh, at Friends of the Web to do like telethons essentially, where we like take Skype calls about a specific subject for some, like have basically like Skype office hours where it's yeah. like, if you have feedback on this app or you want, you know, us to look at something of yours or you want to talk about something like, you know, hop on our, you know, Skype line and talk to us. I think that that filter of only people that are willing to hop on Skype and let me hear their voice and let me, you know, talk to them as a human being, I think that's going to filter out all the crap that we see on every other, you know, internet community. And the people that are willing to expose themselves as humans are the people that are having the really viable conversations. It's funny how absurd this conversation is. It's the most absurd conversation we've ever had of just saying, we need to figure out a way for humans to talk to each other which is obviously a thing that anyone can do, but it is a huge challenge. It is an amazing challenge to use technology in a way that we can do any time as people. But, you know, we are still trying to bridge the gap between distances, and that is the challenge. How do you bridge the gap between both distances and, I guess, scale, right? Communicating to a large number of people. The thing about email is that it cuts the scale down to one-on-one, but I do think there is still the possibility to communicate to many people and, and have that kind of a similar conversation still happen. Yeah. And it's interesting too that I think that most people just take for granted how much changing mediums really changes the conversation. And people think, oh, I'm emailing somebody. That's the same as talking to them on the phone. It's the same as, you know, talking to them in person. Like I'm just talking to a person. But it's so much different. And people that don't, that take that for granted, that don't understand how much the medium changes the actual content and the context that's the people that are, you know, up at arms about internet comments and want to know why everybody's being mean to each other and what is a troll and how can they be so cruel and all this crap. And it's like, well, you know, the, the medium is dictating a lot of the way people are behaving. And I, I agree, Matt. It's interesting that in, in a time of unprecedented communication, we I find myself personally reaching out for a more meaningful type of communication because all of the Twittering and emailing and, you know, chat rooming is is only a fraction of the kind of meaningful connections I want with human beings. It's, it's like the most obvious example of McLuhan's law of reverse. You just can't, anytime you step away from real, any sort of distance, there's always the reverse of it. And I think we're just kind of seeing that play out so obviously. Mm-hmm. I would love, I don't know, maybe I'm being optimistic and thinking you could design a way around that. But you can never get away from that. I mean, as simple as a, a monkey grabbing a stick to knock an apple out of the tree, there's always the reverse of that. And you just can't get away from it. I, I don't know that you can design a way around that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big question, but I, I'm interested in... I was never interested in that kind of shit like a year, a year, two years, three years ago. I didn't care about shit like email or phone calls or anything. I thought it was all just outdated and we were all marching towards, you know, the future of, you know, Twitter and, you know, all those other things that are out there. But there's something to be said for the type of communication that that allows, and it is totally different. Uh, like the feedback I get when I send out an email with you know X amount of content in it would be totally different than the feedback I would get if I put that on my blog, which would be totally different than the feedback I would get if I strung that out over a couple of tweets. It's just context really matters. And I, I want to make sure that I'm trying to take advantage of all of the things that are available to us and kind of explore these mediums. because It's incredible that you know we spend all of our time doing these things, but I feel like I still don't really understand exactly how email affects communication and this doing this like personal journal thing is like me exploring the medium and trying to figure out exactly what it means and the kind of you know, connection it facilitates. 
I am going to do an office hours thing too. I, I think that's, <laughs> I've, we've been kicking the idea around and I think it's, I think we should do it. Just have like a two hours a week or something that we're on Skype and we're willing to talk about any feedback from any of our products or talk to any of our customers about anything. I think it could be cool and facilitate some cool conversations. I do want to hear how it goes and also if it is effective, like if yeah. people really take advantage of it or not. This has been On The Grid, episode 19. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co, call us, 973-ONGRID2, tweet to, hashtag onthegrid. If you want to submit a link for us to discuss on the show, onthegrid.reddit.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review it on iTunes. Thanks to Girlfriends for the music. Thanks to you for listening. Until next week.